0: Hi folks, welcome to CLD Talks, I'm your host Connor Maxwell. Today we're speaking to Gordon Mackey, who takes us through his journey from his positive placement experiences, then working in Strathclyde Regional Council, doing some national work and then becoming a lecturer for Strathclyde University and UWS. I hope you guys enjoy, without further ado, here's Gordon Mackey. Gordon, it would be great if you could just tell us a wee bit about yourself and your career in CLD.
1: Hey Connor, I'll try that. Um, So I'm now retired, not quite 65 yet though. Um, But I always had this notion that I would, once I had finished with my CLD life, I would go on and maybe do something else. Mm. Um, But who am I? So uh, I was born in the East End of Glasgow Mm -hmm. and raised there. Uh, And actually, where I was born is now part of the campus that I used to work on. (laughs) So I was able to look out of some of the classrooms that I was teaching in and look at the the vacant site where the maternity hospital used to be and think, (laughs) I've really come far, about 500 yards from where I was born to where (laughs) I am now. (laughs) Um, But uh, I was raised in, as I said, East End, South Carentine. This where I come from. And Carantine itself is a kind of odd kind of interwar housing council housing estate. Um and the street that I lived on um was kind of you could split it into three different parts. There was a bit that was near the good end, there was a bit that that was really very, very deprived, and we were kind of in the middle bit. Because yeah. a big, big long street. And so it was a really weird place to grow up because you could see kind of social stratification, if you want to use fancy words, you could see it. You could see yeah. where the better off people lived and you could see where the really, really poor people lived. <laughs> and <laughs> that instills in you fairly early on in your life, a kind of understanding that of things aren't the same for
0: everybody. So that, that was an interesting... Uh, not a lot uh, of people get that when they're growing up you know, and even just having that maybe understanding that everybody's really different, and especially at a young age.
1: Well, it's interesting to, I mean, I say this, kind of against my parents in a way, which is a shame. They're both dead now. But um, they were very much of the opinion that I didn't really want to mix with the folk at the the, the poorer end of the street, and I should aspire to the, the better end of the street. Um, and it's funny because a lot of my pals came from a poor end of the street. So that was just that's the way it happened. I mean, um, but they they were always trying to kind of say, "Oh no, you need to get on, son. You need to get on." Yeah. They had no idea what that meant, but <laughs> that that was their mantra. Um, the other interesting thing about living there was, as a an undergraduate student, we did a kind of poverty tour. So all the students went out in the bus. And uh, we're all oh, look at this, look at this, and we went past my parents' house and I waved. <laughs> and I said, "Oh, look, poverty!"
0: <laughs> Hi, mom. Hi, dad. <laughs> Got
1: her hanging out the washing
0: though.
1: <laughs> um, so um, I lived there till I was nineteen, and then as a student, I moved out. Uh, I was a student in Paisley, Paisley College. What did you study? University. So I did a social sciences degree. Um, And the big thing was moving out of house at 19. I mean, it was really, it's not an option a lot of people have nowadays, but I lived above a chip shop, which was, the the flat was really manky. But it was, you know, that way when you just get your freedom and you, you feel grown up and you just want to be, you know, making all your decisions for yourself. So I loved it. Looking back on it, I mean, it was it really was not a great move. We didn't have very much living on our student grants and spending them on all the wrong things. Really? Uh, but imagine a student grant now. So, um, <laughs> right. so um, I did the social sciences degree. I, one thing I should say though was, and again, it's a great learning experience, was that um, by the time we got to third year, I had a bit of a meltdown. And completely flunked my final year did you uh-huh and um it just really was a really dark time for me personally uh, but i had a choice to either pick myself up and try and do something about it and you know try and retain or at least get back into study yeah. or give it up altogether and i'd known a number of folk that given up again that's that thing where folk who don't come from backgrounds who don't have other people in their family to be able to say it just to help them or to aid them through their studies mm-hmm. you've just got to make it yourself basically and, I, and a number of my friends had dropped out and i thought oh, well i'll be like jim or so and so i'll just drop out and i'll do something else and he seemed happy enough and then i thought wait a minute that's three years <laughs> i may right. as well just give it a go and yeah, three years of year, hard work don't think you could say I was the most, um, I wasn't the best student. I loved it. I absolutely loved the course and I absolutely, I, I mean, I think the course was brilliant and the lecturing staff and all the, they were great. I mean, I, I really landed on my feet there. Um, but I, I, was, I think I was too young. I think I just really didn't understand what was happening a lot of the time, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it really only, when I got to third year, I thought, hold on a minute. <laughs> um, or after my flunk. Um, so anyway, they they decided to let me back in. I redid my final year. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I put into that final year what I should have put into the other years. Yeah. But I learned a lot from it because, again, work ending up working in a university, you see people have meltdowns. And it's easy to dismiss folk and say, well... know, they're a terrible student or they didn't, you know, they didn't put in what they need to put in and all that kind of stuff. It's easy to write people off, Mm -hmm. but my own experience led me to realize that it's actually a very easy thing to get into a situation where you can't study and you need a clear mind to study. So um, it it helped me in my discussions with students who were struggling, I think, and it, it allowed me to cut them some extra slack.
0: I think having that experience of you failing your third year to then bring into that, that's something that doesn't happen to a lot of lecturers. And to have that well, and be able to share that and relates really important.
1: Well, it can be a real power trip for folk working in universities too because you've got folk's future in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've also got a responsibility, particularly in a course like CLD, community education. You're the entry or you're the kind of gatekeeper to people going into the profession mm-hmm. so you do feel a responsibility to say can this person can this person be allowed to practice <laughs> and intervene in people's lives yeah. but there were very very few people who actually came through the door who i thought oh i don't think i would let you near anybody um, most folk who were struggling were struggling for a range of reasons And there's, it's such a broad church that there's often a place for people. I mean, what's right for one person isn't right for another person. And so there's usually a space that can be found for folk in CLD where they can make a difference, where they can really put their talents and their um, abilities to to good use. Um, But of course, in any walk of life, you meet folk who are... Um, uh, less amenable to change (laughs) let's put it that way that's a
0: nice way to put it
1: so I finished that degree Um, as I say I loved it absolutely loved it it changed my life Um, it opened up my eyes to so many different things but of course at the end of it you're not really qualified to do anything Um, and so And I always remember saying to my parents, well, and not that they were happy about that and they weren't happy that I studied social sciences because they didn't know what it was. Um, That uh, at least if I was unemployed at the end of it, I would know why. Um, (laughs) Then I had to think about the future. So then I did a postgraduate certificate in community education at Dundee. I went to Dundee College of Education. Um, and that was a one-year course. Yeah. And um, really, I mean, I'm, so, I'm blending into the next um, question you're going to ask, but really it was because I had met somebody in my first third year um, at Paisley College who was going to be doing the course mm-hmm. um, that year. He was finishing his... His fourth year of social sciences, and then going on to um, the community education course, as it was then, and it was talking to him and Chance. How I mean, it's in a snack bar. Chance yeah. meeting, talking to him about. It, I think he said, "So, what are you going to do when you leave?" And I said, "I, I mean, I knew him, uh, but what are you going to do?" And I said, I, "I don't really know because I don't want to be a teacher." A lot of people finished the degree and then went to do their postgraduate teaching course and I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be a social worker. But I knew it's one of those things that, again, it links back to what I was talking about, where I come from. I had a kind of strong sense of what you would call now social justice. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do a job that didn't, necessarily make you lots of money or didn't give you lots of status or whatever. I wanted to do something that would make a difference in terms of people or communities who whose opportunities weren't that you know were limited in some way yeah. and that I could in some way make a difference and he kept saying you should consider community education. Of course my first question was what the hell's that? Never heard of it. <laughs> um and then as he described what he was doing, he was very interested in housing and housing matters. And that wasn't really my thing necessarily. Um, And in fact, his whole career ended up being in terms of community development and housing. Right, okay. He said, it's such a broad field. What are you interested in? I said, well, education interests me, but not schooling. Um, And he said, well, that's the the clues in the name. (laughs) there's education in the name (laughs) why don't you think about it look into it and then we can have a chat again so that's what I did um and then we had another chat and he was saying so what do you think about it now and I said actually I think this could be for me because I was really interested in the idea of community development um and I wanted I was quite interested in the notion of campaigning work and there was still a lot of campaigning work then done with community groups and I thought that sounds interesting. So the two placements I had at Dundee, one was in Edinburgh um, with a, an organisation called the Pilmeny Development Group which I think is still on the go and bizarrely I think my placement supervisor still works there after all wow. these years. You know. Um, and my second placement was in um, Howard Road and Johnson, working with um, a housing association dealing with dampness. It was a dampness campaign. Okay. I had two of the most outstanding placement supervisors you could ever want to have, they were brilliant. Um, and I think I was very, very lucky because I know that that wasn't the case for everybody, um, but they were very challenging and they pushed me uh, and they questioned me, and they gave me—I uh, mean—they the, weren't a pushover by any manner of means. They—they were—they were really, really interesting people, but completely immersed in their practice and completely yeah. interested in what they were doing. Really committed, and so that kind of rubbed off. Um, and so that's—that was my kind of entry into. CLD.
0: How did the two compare to each other?
1: Totally different. Anne Monroe, who I think still works there, um, who I met quite recently, that's why I can say that. I met her a couple of years ago. Um, She, the whole project that she was involved in was working with older people. Mm -hmm. So she was centre-based in a, it it was a day centre for older people in the kind of Easter Road area in Edinburgh, and uh, her work was very much about trying to pull services in. So it was about really struggling to try and make sure that individual people's lives in that area, older people, got access to the services that they they should get. Um, And I would call Anne a very kind of... um, uh, her commitment was and her and her husband's commitment was that they had to live in the area as well as work in the area. So they moved into the area which always kind of frightened me. <laughs> in one <laughs> level I thought do you have to do that? <laughs> uh, uh, but they were her husband was the kind of the big youth worker in the area and she worked with older people. Oh, okay. Um So Completely and utterly committed their whole lives. Uh, when I was out in Howard Road with Rab, Rab Murray, um, he was very political, and he wanted to push the local council to do some things about the, that area that we were working in um, to really to to force them to do to make changes. Um, but working through a community-led organization. Mm-hmm. So he was their big resource, if you want to call that. Yeah. Put it that way. Uh, but he he always had the bigger picture in mind. So when he was pushing me, he would say, What do you know about so and so? How do you how does that affect practice? How would you apply so-and-so's ideas to that? So my, um, my supervision meetings. I had to prepare really well for them (laughs) because I knew he was really going to push me and he wouldn't let me away with any crap. So, uh, And it was just, you have to remember, the context was really, that was the first Thatcher government. So instead of giving me a pile of kind of left-wing things or things that he thought that I might appreciate, he gave me a lot of things which were coming from a very Thatcherite perspective, and said, how do you argue against that? Mm -hmm. What have you got to say about that? So it really focused my mind into um, understanding what was happening round about me in a wider sense, in a political sense. Mm -hmm. So it really gave me, those two placements gave me a real good grounding in very different aspects of the work. But by the end of it, I was absolutely convinced that I wanted to be the the community development worker, community worker who would change the world. That's what I was going to do.
0: Okay. How um, did the facture the facture government impact community learning development? Or hugely. Yeah. Mhm. Um, well,
1: to begin with, when I graduated, there really weren't any jobs. Right. local councils, local authorities were getting hit really badly. It was the first big series of cuts mm. and um, it really meant that there really wasn't any expansion in local government services that year. Okay. So, in fact, my first job was a job creation scheme. Uh, it was called the Community Enterprise Programme. Right. and But it was in community learning and development. So, My first job was as a resource worker for what was then called adult basic education, which we call literacies work now. Um, And so that meant I was centrally based and looking after the resources for literacies work in Renfrew Division of Strathclyde Regional Council. So it was the, the big regional, I don't know how much younger people remember about how local Authorities changed in the nineties, and we had two-tier authorities: district and and regional. But now we've just got the local council. Yeah. So um, the regional council were responsible for education, and uh, so I was centrally based there. But the good thing about that job, although I have to say much of it was very tedious, I mean cataloguing. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, it meant that I also had to visit every area office in Renfrew Division and do the same to their resources. And what that did was, it was, it was brilliant because I met all the area staff. I got to know them, <laughs> not all of them, but I mean, I, was, I, was, I became known, a known entity across Renfrew Division, which yeah. was really useful for me because having been a student in Dundee and then being in Paisley, nobody knew who I
0: was.
1: (laughs) So it's not like I was working in an area where I had any kind of background. You know how many people, younger people, maybe even folk like yourself, who get involved in work locally and then go and then study and then move on and all the rest of it. I was working in an area where nobody knew me. So that, although the job, it was a one-year funded post, um, and it wasn't the most exciting job in the world. Uh, it really, it, it gave me the opportunity to then start applying for jobs, yeah. and that's how I moved into my next job
0: because I was known. Yeah, but it gets your feet under the table, and it gets you in that position where you can start looking at other things.
1: Very much so, and uh, it was a really good opportunity to see the spread of what happened in what was called Renfrew Division then. Um, and so I, I don't, I mean, maybe at the time I didn't fully appreciate it, but it really did open doors. Um, so from there, the other thing I think that's quite interesting about the jobs that I had and what you might laughingly call a career, <laughs>
0: <laughs> my
1: career, um, is that it was unusual and different from other folks at the time because... I never held a generic post. Now, most people did. So they did a bit of adult education. They did a bit of youth work. They did a bit of community work. Mm-hmm. Um, I always ended up not, it wasn't planned this way, but I mean, this is the way it, it, it panned out. I did jobs that were very specific to one part of the the, the service. Right, okay. So my first job after leaving the job creation scheme was an urban aid post, urban aid funded um, post in uh, Greenock in adult education. And uh, the project, I think it was called the approved access to adult learning project. So it was based on a housing scheme. Mm-hmm. It was targeted at specific groups. The application for the, for the money had said that it had to work with the physically disabled Um, Women, (laughs) all women, uh, they're unemployed. Um, So that was basically most people. Um, But you had to prove that that what you were doing was working towards getting access for these groups into education in some way. Okay. And again, uh, because it was a it was a very specific post with specific money. it meant that, in theory, I had access to funds that generic workers didn't have because they were always having to argue for money from the area officer. It didn't quite work out like that, and I have to say, and here's a, a, a good lesson for everybody: I was awful at that job, absolutely awful.
0: Oh, it was dreadful.
1: It was the probably the worst experience in my life. In some ways. Um, we had no base at all. Well, we had an administrative base in a primary school that we could have access from nine to five. We'd nowhere to bring people at all. So we walked the streets. We, were, I mean, we, we did all the things that you could do when you didn't have any place to go. You meant to yeah. places where other people were. Yeah. So it did force us rightly and I think in a good way to get to know the local tenants associations and groups, the local youth groups. Um, Even at some points, hanging around the shops, I remember trying to just waiting for people just to chat to, how scary must that have been? This person coming up to say, hello, can I talk to you? (laughs) Um, But uh, that that remained a feature of a lot of my working life, hanging around shopping centres, accosting people. Um but uh but there's was there's theory
0: behind it. There's theory behind it.
1: There absolutely was. <laughs> and I, I read vigorously trying to think how am I going to make this work. No. Um but for a number of reasons it didn't work. The local community, I should have said the project was across um three different areas. So there were two workers in Fergusley Park in Paisley, one in Barhead, and then the two of us down in Greenock. Mm-hmm. I think Locally in Fergusley Park and in Barhead for a number of reasons that had been well established with the local community that the project was coming, but not in Greenock. So the first, when we first got there, people didn't want to know us and were very suspicious of us and, you know, are you from the government, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Very resistant to be open. And, of course, you didn't have a place to... Bring people to 100%. So, a lot of the time, I did a fair amount of work from local tenants' association hall, which also involved doing things like making soup and calling the bingo numbers. Um, but also well, then getting into discussion about so, have you, th- you know, what, what you're thinking about doing now? Have you thought about applying for a local grant? Um, we could get some new stuff in here. Yes. Um, and, and so that was a way in, but it was hard, hard work. I think my successes were limited. Um, and maybe it's something to do with me, or maybe, maybe it's very telling about the project, was that in the four years that I was there, four years hammering away at that, I went through four different partners. <laughs> they couldn't hack it, or they couldn't hack me. So um, <laughs> it was... Always people, I think, coming down, tried to do this job and then finding it was just very, very difficult. So it was hard. I think my colleagues were very suspicious, too, of what does he do? (laughs) He doesn't really seem to do anything. Um, He hangs around the shops and he goes up to the Tenants Association and calls bingo numbers. I think they were quite resentful, too, of the project. uh, And and what it was there to do and what for it, for it was achieving. Interestingly though, long-term, two of my colleagues there ended up, I ended up working with them long-term at Strathclyde. So, oh, cool. um, and in fact, one works at UWS, David Wallace. Oh,
0: well. um,
1: So we all worked together in the early eighties um, and it wasn't, it wasn't a great success, but you sometimes learn the hard way. <laughs> So my next job was another urban aid project, uh, but this was in Paisley uh, and it was a really interesting project. It was a, a family centre, but it was a joint submission between CLD, ComEd, um, social work, pre-fives and community development workers were also based there. So, And it was based in a primary school in the wing, a disused wing of a primary school. So there was a pre-five centre, as part of it, a a nursery, the adult education room, which was a huge big room which had an office off it where I was, Um, a domiciliary care project um, and community development. So the idea behind the project was brilliant and it worked really well in the sense that all the things I'd learned from the failures, (laughs) of Greenock, Um, kind of magically, I couldn't do any wrong when I was at Paisley. Everything just seemed to work. Um, It was easy to get people in. It was easy to get people involved. Um, It was easy to get involved in other aspects of the the family centre as well. And it just was very, very, it it was night and day. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I can do this. I really had to prove to myself that I could do it after the kind of failure of my first job. Yeah. Um, and I was delighted that that was the case. So that was great.
0: I think um, it's great it, that you still stuck that out for the four years in your first job, even especially if you had loads of different partners, but you still were there, you know, and you still tried it, which it's is, partly something, you know.
1: It's nice of you to say that. Um it's partly to do with there was a wage coming in every month and you don't walk away from a wage. <laughs> I'll be cynical enough about that. But I did, having been kind of a bit idealistic to begin with and then not quite getting there, I did want to prove something to myself. And as much as, again, my local area manager was a bit unsympathetic there's the nicest way I would put that okay. um, and made life difficult for me too and so I, I I just knew that that couldn't be what community CLD could be about yeah. I just knew that couldn't be it um, but uh, it was moving uh, then when I moved to the next job that was that that proved that that was the case and that and um, the things I believed in really did work and you really could be successful. And we really did have wonderful, wonderful groups and campaigning. Some campaigning work with CLD, uh, with community development and some work with the parents from pre fives and some work with uh, joint work with social work. It just was really, it was a really good example of partnership working. Um, Early days, so that was like 1986. So uh, from that, um, I moved on to, what did I do after that? I know what I did. I moved on to another, an ex-Urban Aid project. (laughs) So um, it had just been given mainline funding um, in Priest Hill in Glasgow, and it was called the New Employment Project. And again, that was a really interesting project when you think about it and you think about the times. So I was there, uh, I was based in an adult education center, a real adult education center in Priest Hill with real people in it. Um, and my job was to identify people who were kind of interested maybe in a career in community learning, social work, teaching, whatever. Yeah. So broadly in the caring services, nursing, Um, and that was easy because I could identify them at the adult education centre. I could literally walk from my office to the next room and talk to a group of people who were studying um, and say, here's what I do. If you're interested, come and see me.
0: Uh,
1: And so I had a budget to have paid placements locally in the local social work office in the local care home, in the local, um, I mean, in local school, we had um, a, a reasonable budget to to give to people to say, yeah. if you work four or five hours a week in there, and you may want to top that up with some voluntary work, you'll get the experience you need. And the deal was, but you have to sign up in the adult education centre to get in the qualifications you need to take it further. Right, okay. And, and, and that was at different levels. So you were getting people qualifications and experience to then move on and get a career. Mm-hmm. And surprise, surprise, because there was money behind it and incentive and support. It worked. <laughs> so people did actually move on yeah, and uh, get careers. So it was very, very specific. But again... It was good and it was great, but it wasn't enough for me. And so my area manager at the time it was a wonderful woman, Mary Finnegan, who's no longer with us, said, how did I feel about developing the adult education program in the area? And that was a big, big area. It was the Southwest of Glasgow. I mean, there were more, I'm trying to think how many, there were something like 23 full-time qualified workers in that team as well as all the project workers. It was a big team yeah, and big it covered a, a big area. And I thought, well, yeah, kind of, why not? So <laughs> I got that responsibility, which I loved. And at that point, we did a lot of training in the area as well. Youth work training, basic education training, committee skills training. So we did a huge amount of training, which was really important and really, dead interesting. It was just really amazing to meet folk who were keen to, I, I would say, I mean, this is me being um, a wee bit kind of uh, nostalgic, but I would say my job in Priest Hill, it's where I was happiest. The community were very, very supportive. They had a, a long experience of being community, involved in the community and getting resources mm-hmm. into the community. So people were open. People wanted to say, what is it you can do? What, should, oh, yeah. what, what can you do for me? Instead of chasing people around empty shopping centres. So that's so different. Isn't it? it was night and day. Yeah. Although I did spend a lot of time in the Pollock's shopping centre as well, sort of giving balloons to wings and trying to talk to parents about, have you thought about coming to the adult education centre? <laughs> so um, so that was a great job. I loved it. I loved it. Great experience. Um, I started doing some part-time study at that time as well to do a master's, which was really difficult trying to fit everything in. But um, that experience, it just shows you you shouldn't, um, if an experience or an opportunity comes up for you, you should take it. So Mm -hmm. um, through that, through that part-time study, um, a couple of people... Mary that I mentioned and another senior worker had been asked to do some uh, management modules at Strathclyde and at the last minute, the other person dropped out. So Mary asked me to, to join in, would I have been interested right. in doing it? And I was kind of terrified, but I thought, yes, I could. Why management? But anyway, um, yes, that, that would be interesting. And so I taught, I did my first part-time teaching through that experience which was fantastic. I mean, um, it was really mind-blowing. It was great. And it was a great year group that I worked with. It was third-year students who were really, really vociferous and really questioning and didn't let us away with anything. Um,
0: As they should. As they should.
1: It it was scary to begin with, but actually, the more we got into the module, the more fun it became because we knew that, I mean, we had to be on our toes, basically. And then I left that job... Um, after gosh, about seven years or something, I d- really didn't want to move. But then there was a big reorganization, and I applied for a, and I had done a number of kind of acting up posts for people who'd been on maternity leave or had had acting up posts themselves. Yes. And then I got a senior's post, and then that senior's post in, was in Castle Milk with a youth work remit. And when they told me it was a youth work remit i thought i'm not say the word but you'll know what it was and it began with an f <laughs> i thought how on earth am i going to be able to do this uh, totally flipped i thought well just just get on with it suck it up you're, you're, that's where you're going uh, uh, and i went the other senior worker in that team was somebody i'd worked with in the southwest anyway so the two of us kind of decided he was the adult education senior and i was the youth work senior and he hadn't really done much adult education. I hadn't done much youth work, but we worked together to, to, to sort things out. And the way that that worked out was I had a very narrow, old fashioned definition of what youth work was in my head. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't what youth work was like in Castle Milk at all.
0: Yeah.
1: It was really, again, it was a great experience. I loved it. It was just at the point where the youth complex was opening. So a million pound youth work project in the centre. um, And I was the regional council monitoring officer for the funds, which scared the crap out of me. Um, But the woman who ran the centre on a day-to-day basis was somebody I'd been at Paisley with. So um, it, it was just, it was wonderful. So I was there right at the start, we interviewed for all the staff, for all the cleaners and the kitchen staff and the youth workers and all the rest of it, right in from the start. A fair amount, there was an established um, youth uh, project in the building where I was based, my admin based at St Margaret Mary's, um, which was run uh, and supported uh, through a voluntary organization and a a full-time worker. Um, But they were very open to having me come to their meetings uh, and talk about how we could do work together and then for the youth complex, I was on the first board of the Casamote the Youth Complex. So that, I mean, I, I kind of had to be there because of my monitoring role. But Sandra Davidson, who ran the place at the time, did all of that and made my life very, very easy. <laughs> it's very easy when you trust somebody. Um, so my monitoring role was much more hands-off than I thought it was going to be. And I worked, I mainly worked with, 16 to 25 year olds. Yeah. And it was great. I loved it. And, and if you told me that five years earlier that on your bike, I mean, no. I, that it just wasn't me. I mean, I, and I wasn't really drawn into to working with young people because in my mind, I had a view of what youth work was. Yeah. And it was totally different. And I loved it. Um, I also Did you see any main
0: differences between working with adults and working with young people? Or was there differences or any major similarities even? That's a good
1: question. Um There, there were similarities and differences. Um the similarities were around again what well, again young people don't let you off with very much. They're they're very they want to know things in are very in your face so that was in some ways different but also not different from working with adults who want to know what you can get for them or their community or whatever. Um, youth work can be more you have to think in your toes in youth work more I think because things happen just things generate the, when you've got groups of young people together and so whatever you want to call it, thinking in your feet, firefighting, whatever. There yeah. was much more of that because things would just flare up. Um, so that was that was more difficult. And I certainly I depended and got a lot of support from people who were very experienced youth workers to help me with that. So I knew what I was good at and I knew what I was less good at. But I managed a team of youth work staff um, both from voluntary workers, right through to full-time, part-time workers. It was great. It was challenging. I loved it. And I'm glad I did it. But the interesting thing out of all of that is remember I had said at the start, um, I wanted to be the community development worker that changed everything. So I did youth work. I did adult education. I was never, I never had a full-time community work job. It was the very thing I never ended up doing. So I think there's a lesson in that you need to be open to what comes up. There was a lot of luck. Some bad luck, um, but a lot of good luck. I met some brilliant people. I met some very scary people. <laughs> um, but my admiration for certain people um, got me through some tough times, and they got me through some tough times. So it's, I don't want to say, I don't want to paint it as if everything's rosy and everything's great. Uh, but it, it, I think it's one of those myths that community works easy. And I know that, um, you know, you're just playing pool or you're just hanging about a shopping centre or you're, you know, you're just playing, essentially. I mean, when you're working with play schemes or whatever. It's hard because you have to be the best resource you can be. And sometimes a lot of that time is on your own. So I don't think, unless you've had to do it, And if you're looking from outside and you don't really know what the processes are involved are, you have no idea how complicated it is.
0: And so... And uh, all the individuals are so different. So it's it's not a one-size-fits-all. Everybody who walks through the door, you're going to need to have a different maybe solution, you're having a different conversation, and it's how you can adapt to that, which people don't understand and people maybe don't recognise. And... Absolutely. And I think for a while
1: we got drawn into a lot more administrative work in CLD, and that was meant people were much more at their desks. And you could see people becoming a bit um, demotivated and a bit de-skilled and a bit unhappy. Now, I know there's, there's a certain amount of that still goes on. But if you're going to be a CLD worker, what gets you up in the morning or what what motivates you is seeing people and people moving on so as and sometimes that's hard because it's slow 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 you have to take the long-term approach a lot of the time um you don't see instant gains that and again that's probably one of my main problems with outcome-based work which really is at the core of a lot of the way we, we we our work is judged um, the processes that involved often in our work take a long, long time and people don't cut you much slack for that, you, they want instant results so um, it's difficult work but it's really uh, it's just it's such rewarding and fulfilling work when, when when it goes right
0: and when you get the right support it really can be yeah i totally agree i totally agree and i think that's the that's the thing that i why i really want to do this job because you do as long term but when something goes right or you see that person move on or you see that change in behaviors or reaction then you know that you've done your bit and you really are helping people like you're helping people at the core for where they are um it's, it's such a powerful job
1: the other thing too though sometimes you don't see it you don't know what being in a group meant to somebody. Um, it's only 10 years later, you might bump into somebody and they'll say, see, because I was at that group that night or because I met so-and-so or because I went away on that trip or whatever, that changed my life. Now, you often don't get that feedback because it's not obvious to people at the time. <laughs> yeah. um, but you have to hope that a lot of the work you're doing has a positive impact, but you don't, you don't know that. You don't know. It's, a, it's one of those unknowns that you just have to hope and pray that if you're doing your job right, it's having an effect.
0: So what did you do next?
1: So I left Castle Milk, and I felt very good about the work they'd done there. And then I left the field altogether, but not CLD. I mean, field work, face-to-face work. Okay. I then got a job in what was the national agency called the Scottish Community Education Council, based in Edinburgh, and um, I had the job of oh, it was the, org- the part of the organisation was called CV. It was Community Education, Validation and Endorsement. And so it's the precursor to the Standards Council okay. in many ways. So I had the job of um, putting together endorsement panels to go to universities, to go to local authorities, to go to volunteer orgs and assess their education and training against criteria set out by various committees that worked uh, to or from the Scottish Community Education Council. So it was really, that was a, a huge leap from being locally based to being nationally based. Yeah. Um, and it was a really, I mean, it was a, a, a huge job um, to put it into perspective. When I applied for the job in the first place, that I got the stuff sent through. I read it and I thought, well, that's not one job. That's three or four jobs and no <laughs> one person could do that. And I put the application in the bin. And then I had to discuss it with somebody and they said, but you should still put in an application. So I got the form again and I started to fill it out and I took cold feet again and I ripped it up and put it in the bin. Oh, did you? <laughs> so then I had to go back to them a third time and say, could you send me another application form? And I filled it in and I went for the interview and I thought, this is a big job. This is a big job. I'll never get it. So you could have knocked me over with a feather when I got the job. But yeah. then I panicked and I thought, now you're going to have to do this. <laughs> You're going to have to make this work. Yeah.
0: These three so, or four jobs and the one job.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, I wasn't totally alone. I had a, a, a manager above me, Fiona Black, who did a lot of the development work and had been doing that work by the time mm-hmm. I arrived. Um, but then it, it opened up a whole new world. I was working with universities. I was working with local authorities all over Scotland and volorgs. community organizations and so my idea of what CLD was just grew out of all proportion Mm -hmm. Um, meeting really inspirational people who were really motivated and they wanted to get their their educational courses or their training courses endorsed professionally endorsed Mm -hmm. and then working at that level with universities and being kind of taken seriously so it was important that universities got the professional endorsement otherwise they couldn't run their courses so it was an interesting power dynamic I was always aware of the power and that was held within that post and to try and use that responsibly but also to try and work in ways that we weren't overused but very much in partnership to say how can we make this better how can we change that or what do you think about it But it was employer-led, it was an employer-led body. All the committees that I worked with were all employer-led. And increasingly, as I got into the role and all the different aspects of it, um, it was very, very enlightening personally to me. Um, But again, doing all that work with universities and then having had that little experience of doing some teaching, yeah. I asked to do some more part-time teaching and I did. And then I was on a train going to a meeting in Dundee and a colleague, or somebody who became a colleague from Strathclyde was on the train. We we're going to the meeting. And he said, we've got a job. You should apply for it. And I was thinking, no, not me. <laughs> I don't think I could do that full time. Uh, the usual response. And he said, you should put in an application. So I did. I got the job um, and then that was a, just a very different experience again so you're working in a whole different atmosphere um, yeah. in a university but still feeling like a CLD worker mm-hmm. so the identity swap wasn't easy for me but uh, you know you're kind of straddling two different identities I, I couldn't let go of my CLD identity but I couldn't really Get into being an academic, yeah. So, and that 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 caused some problems, um, but I think the way that I approached it, and if you speak to anybody else, I think who works in the university who's come from our background, they'll say what they do in that situation is they try to bend the institution to a community learning and development or community education way of doing things. Mm-hmm. So that was always our approach was how can we do this in the way that we know that works with people? Um and to a greater or lesser extent we won some battles, we lost some battles. Ultimately we certainly lost a battle because um the course got the chop and they were mm-hmm. redundant. And that's a learning experience if ever there's one. Um, and but out of that, then came the part-time work that I did at UWS. So I, the the course, not not the same course, but a, a course, then moved to to Hamilton, um, and as you know, <laughs> and that's where we met. And um, I did that for I think it was only was it two or three years part-time, um, and then. I had always, in my head, I was going to go at 60. That was the the idea.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I didn't quite manage that because I ended up getting dragged back into some work at Strathclyde. I ended up working. I had no intention of going anywhere. Once I'd finished at UWS, that was it. I was hanging yeah. my hat up. But then I ended up working in Strathclyde um, on a different course in the the BA in Education and Social Services, which is a kind of hybrid kind of social work, community learning development course. Mm -hmm. And again, working with people who work in the care sector a lot of the time and thinking, what do I know about the care sector? I've never worked in the care sector. Ah, but I can take a CLD approach to this. So again, that was very much the approach that I took at the time was um, i can use the skills here really easily they're very transferable um and that's a hope that that was something that they appreciated or they they it was useful to the course and i know i know it was because that's the feedback i got yeah. how long was it that you were a lecturer for so from 1999 and then my last year well covid definitely ended everything, so, to 2018. So,
0: about 19 years. Yeah. And in that time, did you do any voluntary work or did you dip your toe into practice? Was there any opportunities?
1: Well, yeah, uh, but in different ways. Mm -hmm. So, to say that, I mean, and I, my belief was that a lecturer did lecturing. Mm -hmm. That's not all they do. I I mean, I did a very naive... Uh, understanding of the the various roles. So for the first five years I was there, as well as finishing off my master's, I was the placement organiser. So that was a lot of placements to organise because it was a three-year course and the postgraduate course. So I had to kind of drum up something like 140 placements every academic year, which was difficult because you couldn't rely... There were some... Some local authorities you could rely on who would give you placements year after year mm-hmm. but you had to use your individual personal skills to or to get people to offer you placements that wasn't guaranteed at all yeah. you had to go back every year very much cap in hand and say would you take students this year could you take could you take another one are you <laughs> sure you can't take another one all that kind of stuff but and again that 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 kind of consolidated a lot of experience. So from having been a student on placement myself, um, I took students on placement when I was a field worker, which I think is really important. I don't think it should be optional, but there you go. Um, I regularly took students Mm -hmm. from all three universities at the time. Um, I undertook, there was a national course in fieldwork supervision at the time, which I did. Um, and then took students after that. Um, then I ended up teaching on the national course in fieldwork supervision when I was based at Jordan Hill.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, my master's dissertation was based on fieldwork supervision and I visited students across the three years in the postgraduate year at various placements throughout that time. So, And then working nationally, I had worked with the National Fieldwork Supervision Group. So I had a kind of interesting perspective from different levels about what I thought supervision was about yeah. and what I thought placements were about. Um, and I think, maybe not a popular thing to say, but it was often the weakness in courses was that the fieldwork supervision element of it could have been better,
0: mm-hmm.
1: could have been better managed, could have been um, better supported by the field. When people say lots of nice things about, oh yeah, we have to have students, but then you phone up and you say, no, not this year. Um, right. So there's an expectation from employers that you know placements will be this gold standard. But then when you were trying to organize placements, it would be like, well, you know, you'll need to ask somebody else. So we're not offering placements this year. So I found that element of the course um, really, I don't know how you fix it unless you're going to really resource placements. And resourcing didn't come from the university because they didn't see the placement side of things as being important necessarily. I mean, higher management. Um, So it had to come from the profession or the field and it wasn't forthcoming. So sometimes the expectation of what placement would be and then how that panned out, there could be quite a gap. Mm -hmm. And then now with where CLD is and and how spread out practices beyond CLD, it meant that many people who were supervising students who didn't come from a CLD background, but certainly had supervised students or whatever in the past, um, were supporting people to understand a process that they didn't understand fully themselves. I know that sounds quite a a thing to say. I'm not saying that they weren't professional people in their own day-to-day work. What I mean is, and I'm not saying it's a big mystery or a secret, but there are specific processes and specific values and specific ethics and things that underpin our way of doing things. And if you're not steeped in that, how can you help somebody understand it as a student?
0: Yeah.
1: And so, again, I mean, you hear horror stories about people's placements, I don't know what yours were like. Um, I know that I probably got the best possible start but I I just wonder what it would have been like if I hadn't had a good placement.
0: Yeah, I was really fortunate that my placement was my place of work. So um, we were for my going to uni. I get a day a week to go to uni through my workplace. So um, then my placement hours were there. So my placement was perfect. It was what was good. But was me and my manager at the time then had those sort of placement discussions, which we normally maybe wouldn't have had. Because we would have just been doing our day-to-day role so we might have no then been looking at one of the essays or the assignments or something that we've been gave where he's then he then challenged me and done that whereas we probably wouldn't have done that before and then i know we wouldn't have done that before so um it was pretty good for that um, which was really different and it was different as well because you were doing your day-to-day work and that was fine but then when you were at uni and you were in placement it made me then look at myself and reflect on my practice and what I was currently doing to make sure that I was also hitting the points. Because when you're doing your day-to-day, you sometimes do forget maybe the reasons why and what you're doing because you're just so immersed and you're so busy. So it gave me that opportunity to really check myself and really evaluate what I was doing. I think there are
1: distinct benefits, obviously, from, from doing your placement where you work. I think there's drawbacks too. I mean, I think that one of the nice things about going to different workplaces is seeing how they do things differently, even yeah, though it's called cool. the same thing. But, I mean, when you're working full-time and you're you're studying part-time, I mean, time time is the issue. I never had
0: I, time. was. <laughs> what was time? <laughs> it was especially, you know, the third year. Was, I found that really difficult managing my time. So I did in third year. That was... Um, that was a lot. I ended up, what was good with when Lanarkshire got the new campus, when it was open 24 hours, like that was a game changer because I would just go in there and maybe after a shift at half nine, 10 o'clock and I would just stay for a few hours and get my stuff done. That was, I really had to use that time Cause then when I went home, I just went to bed or I would play FIFA or I would just sit and chill it, you know, um, whereas just taking that extra time and going, no, you need to go here. Cause if you go into that place, you'll do the work. Um, by the third year, of time was but why that was hard. I can, I can imagine. Um, but
1: as I say, I mean, I think placements are such a crucial part of our professional training, and they always kind of I found it difficult to square the expectations with the reality sometimes. And I know that. Um, that's one of the things if i could change anything if i had a magic wand or whether it would be to resource placements properly
0: yeah and as it's hard as well because you can't always but then if that was 140 you had to try and locate every that's so difficult and then there's that pressure as well then on the student because then we were told as well to um, try and find placements as well because they're just they're just not always there and i don't know how placements are working now in covid I don't know if people are taking on placements or volunteers or how they're even looking at that. Then, actually, which would be interesting to try and catch up to see, because that's right. there could be a core group of students that are even accessing placements. It's a difficult one, and particularly in the,
1: the first year I was there at uh, Strathclyde, um, it was easier to get placements because there were still so many larger um, council-operated CLD services. Um, By the time I left, um, many of those people had gone, many of those posts had disappeared. Um, And so you were relying on small, voluntary organisations who were often not well-resourced themselves to take on this important role in people's professional education. And that, again, that just seemed not... It wasn't the best way if you're looking for people to come out as, as being able to hit the ground running, as the phrase is, um, but at least to be able to have a, a working knowledge of what the, the job is or what the roles can be when the places that they've been on placement might have very little to do with what what the full-time professional work is about sure. So I think that is uh, something that certainly
0: could, could be better resourced. Yeah, definitely. Um, is there any other changes or that you think that you'd like to see in CLD or for the future?
1: I think maybe you're asking the wrong person just because I've been out of it for mm-hmm. so long. They're kind of maybe more a bit philosophical. I think a lot of our work has become less group orientated in terms of what I mean by that? What I mean is much more individually focused, individual outcomes.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and the thing that I found, which was really the good stuff in, in the way that we did things was always working with groups, with individuals in mind, uh, but having a kind of wider idea about what was trying to be achieved rather than just for individuals. Mm-hmm. So, but that's not, I don't think that's something that CLD itself can can change, but I think what we need to do is be aware and I'm sure people are aware of the pressures to, to move in, in particular directions through policy. Um, maybe a more critical engagement with policy. What do I mean by that? What I mean is I used to get student recordings um, that would say things like, um, here's how we're going to engage with GERFEC, or here's how we're going
0: to... Some kind of policy development. Sounds like something I wrote to you in my first year. (laughs) 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 My first Uh, year was not great.
1: (laughs) That's a shame. That's that's a shame to hear that. Um, But, yeah, there's something about we're sometimes afraid to put our head above the parapet because we're trying to survive. We're in survival mode a lot of the time. And so it becomes very difficult to be critical of things because then you just become a nuisance. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Things like um, closing the attainment gap there's a phrase that you hear all the time from government and policy and all the rest of it. Well, to my way of thinking, but I'm an old dinosaur, we know what causes the attainment gap. We have done for years. It's poverty, it's poor housing, it's health problems. You know, It's these things that that then need proper infrastructural investment to make a real difference in young people's lives. Not holding a class about how you become more resilient Resilience doesn't come necessarily just from within. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, about the, it's about what's round about you and about how you're living your life. So we have to play a particular game and I know that. And I know that's, that's the way it is. And I'm not criticizing people for not doing things differently. I, th- I just I think sometimes we're, we go along because we have to go along. Yeah. Um, and we don't have the critical voice. Now, you could say that's where universities and that's where research and things come into it. And that, there is a sense in which that's true. But I wish, I do wish there were more things like this. Now, see, your blog is a really, really good idea Thanks. because it's, and it should be developed in ways or there should be, Ability for other people to do something very similar, because we can use the technology in ways that allows us to have the critical conversations between ourselves and maybe, you know, field workers, universities, field workers from other parts of the world, research people from, you know, all different aspects of the work that we're involved in, in ways that weren't possible before. So you had to go. I mean, I loved going to international conferences and I loved going, traveling all over the place, but you don't need to do that. You don't yeah. need to do it when you've got this technology. And so the thing I really like about this is that it's giving opportunities to have conversations, to start other conversations. So other people say, did you hear that crap that Gordon Mackey was talking about? Who does he <laughs> think he is? That's fine, but it starts that conversation.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that's the whole point of what this um, podcast is all about, it's so that then people can hear people's stories, hopefully get a, some inspiration off of something they've said, but also for us to try and raise the profile of the amazing work that we do in CLD, what we've did in the past, what we're currently aiming to do, and it's something there that will sit there on these channels for potentially ever, because at once it's on the internet, you're not getting it off, but people can use this as a proper learning resource. To hear people's journeys, hear people's stories, learn the history of CLD, and have that ability just to click play and go. You know, and um I really appreciate you saying it's a good idea, know
1: it's, bril- it's a brilliant idea. <laughs> yeah, I think the other thing is histories get lost. If we don't have spaces to record things, um whole series of things get lost. Um I was gonna talk about something which I haven't, because <laughs> I got sidetracked. Um, but I mean, even the, if, if you ask people, what was the longest continuous strike in Scottish education, people wouldn't know it was in community education. Yeah. Uh, um, and that changed my whole outlook at the time, because, um, well, I wasn't on strike, I was suspended. Getting suspended from work changes your view as well.
0: I Imagine it would. <laughs>
1: we don't have time to talk about that, probably. Um, people's experiences like that—being made redundant, or being suspended, or having challenges like that—to to get through, which takes a while to work through—I um, think you. It does give you. It gives you a very different perspective from people whose experience has been one of very positive you know, one one positive thing after another. Um, And certainly the things that have gone wrong for me over the years. um, I have to thank the people, the support. And that's another thing that's really important in our line of work. Hunt out people that you can, that can support you and you can support them, whether that's people you were at uni with or whether it's people you were in placement with or whether it's people you're working with just now, because it's very isolating sometimes our work. You have to deal with really complex things in your head alone. Um, so you really need to seek out ways that you can
0: support each other.
1: And this is a good way of doing it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that's what I found it's really important. It's that it's that partnership work and finding those people that you can bounce ideas off of. And um to fair, if it wasn't for that, then this probably wouldn't have started this podcast. You know, I I bounced ideas off of people and done. But that's just a one piece of work um, but in practice that's constant that we need to do and how we develop our things and develop projects and really for you as well to stay sane
1: Well it's a key part of the code of ethics is that you know you self um, care takes in a whole range of things uh, yeah. involved in your work and beyond your work um, so I think that it's it's incumbent on us to look after ourselves as well as looking out for
0: other folk. Yeah, right, definitely. Um, so this is the last question that I'm going to put at the end of every podcast. Um, so what would you say to someone who's thinking about starting a career in CLD? Don't make the mistakes I made. <laughs> right, so you just need to listen to this, listen to what Gordon's did, and don't dare. <laughs>
1: um, Be Seek out people to talk to about their work, understand that it, I mean, it is. there's lots of fun in our work. Of course there is, it would be crazy to say there's not, um, but you have to know that it's not easy. Um, and that as much as it looks like we're having fun, there are the processes that we take people through and we're very proud of our processes. Um, that, that we that we use and the theory that underpins or the ideas, better maybe put it that way, the ideas that underpin what we do, um are important um, that you you struggle through with understanding what those are because they're quite complex at times and leave space for trying to have a bigger picture of what the the whole idea behind CLD is because it's not what you. Th- it's not easy to understand. Um, I failed throughout my whole life to explain to my parents what I did for a living. Um, they, but my mother used to always say things like, "I know you're doing good, son. That's nice, but I still don't know. I can't tell anybody what it is you do because they never. They never got it, and I couldn't. I didn't have the words, particularly when I was younger, to explain to them. Um, What it was. So people would say things like, Well, a policeman works in a community, is he not a community worker? And I was like, Well, you know, I don't think he has quite the same set of values or the same um, reason for being there. I think we have an an educational or development role uh, there. So it's about trying to understand the the complexities of what we do before you jump in. But if you do choose it, um, then I think you're in for a rewarding life because it does bleed into other parts of your life. Your outlook becomes changed in a way. The way you relate to people, the way that you discuss anything, the way that you're involved in local politics or the way that you vote or all those kind of things are are. You, ha- you see them through a kind of CLD lens a lot of the time. Um, so it, it will
0: change you, but in ways that are good. Brilliant. Brilliant. And you know, I totally agree with you. That's, um, I think that's the way that it's really done for me. It's totally changed the, the way that I see things. And uni was a big part of that as well. And just sort of, again, is that um, different understanding and different outlook and just hearing other people and yeah. you know getting a range
1: of views about things and having the luxury of getting time out away from directly working with people to like, i must for your situation it must have been interesting and um, people like me talking about stuff and then the reality of you going and working with people and then thinking hmm, this doesn't quite match up uh, <laughs> so what's going on here <laughs> yeah
0: is and it's, you know, I think it's, it just shows, but just how vast and incredible CLD is. That it's, it does something different for everybody and it's got a place for everybody, um, for as a client, service user, however you want to phrase it, and as a practitioner. So, what we do
1: isn't the same as what other people do with young folk. It's, it's different, it's
0: unique. CLD is definitely unique thanks very much Gordon for the conversation guys I hope you have enjoyed this as much as I did and it's been really nice to catch up with Gordon. If you could subscribe to this podcast that would be amazing and if you could follow us on Twitter on at CLD Talks that would be amazing and you can join the conversation there. See you next time Thanks